This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Steve Orenstein. Steve is the founder of Zoom2U Technologies, an Australian delivery platform that connects customers and businesses with local independent couriers for same-day delivery. In today's episode, Steve takes us through the process of listing a business on the Australian Stock Exchange. You'll learn about the factors you need to consider when deciding to list on the ASX, the steps you can take to prepare your business for a listing, and the challenges that you will face after the listing is complete. Let's jump in. Steve, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm really excited to have a chat and get to learn about you and, and your journey of Zoom to you. Thanks, Van. Great to be here. So for those that don't know you, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I've been running different technology businesses for the last oh, 20 years. I started my first business when I was 19. So today I'm running a company, zoom to you Technologies, which is listed on the ASX under the code of Z2U. And we listed uh, September 21, I think. Yeah, so it's not being listed just over a year now. And yeah, we run a business which is inside of that. There's a couple of different companies. The main one is zoom to you which is a on-demand delivery platform doing same-day delivery across Australia for retail, but also e-commerce businesses and lots of small businesses that use that platform. And all around doing that fast sort of same-day delivery. And we use a lot of technology in running that business. And what we did a number of years ago, it was probably about three or four years ago, is we started a separate business called Locate You. And that's taken a lot of the technology that we built inside of the Zoom to You business and built it into its own standalone product for companies that are running their own fleet of their own drivers. But we're looking to use the same technology that we had inside of Zoom to You and the same customer experience. And we built that into its own its own business. We sell it as a SaaS product and we sell that to companies right across the world. And so we've got companies in Australia using it, Amart Furniture, Bing Lee, some of the biggest sort of retailers that are using it, but also other companies uh, right across the world using it. Oh, there you go. I might have a couple of client referrals for that. I did, I wasn't aware of the Locate to You, Mark, the SaaS product. Before we touch on that, I want to get a bit more about you. What's your background? Are you a code writer? Did you have a commerce degree? Tell me a little bit about yourself. So I went to university. I started in an IT degree and then switched into business, but I lasted, I think it was only about six months and left with a plan to sort of go back at some stage, but I never went back. And I started my first business, which was an IT support company. So spending a lot of time with computers and a lot of the hardware side of things and getting them working for lots of businesses. And so I built that business to at one stage, I think we had about 12 technicians across Sydney. We were going around fixing lots of businesses, computer networks. And in those days, it was a lot more complicated because you didn't have a remote desktop and you had to go out on site and you had lots of Windows updates and all those painful things that you don't necessarily have today. And what I did start to get involved with is I started to see a lot of software companies that were starting, starting to evolve. And I saw that you could set, build this piece of software and then sell it many times over 
which started to get me thinking, which was a much better business than essentially we were selling labor. But that probably took me from like 19 till about 27, where I, I switched out of basically closed down the hardware business or sold a little bit of it off and started moving into building software, but using outsourced software developers. So using a team in India that was assisting me in sort of building a software product and initially started in doing ad hoc software development for different businesses and building like bespoke products for them. And then that evolved into finding a bit of a niche, which was around the dispatch of workout to a mobile workforce. And so this was in the early days of before even the iPhone was available, we built an application that could dispatch workout to a mobile device that had the old WAP browser you had on your phone and it was all black and white and did barely anything. And then through that period, then the iPhone came out and started building it into an app. And that was a company called Connect to Field. And in 2013, it got acquired by a company called Fleetmatics out of the US. And so Fleetmatics was listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Was that your startup? Was that your? Yeah, that was mine. Yeah. Well done. That's awesome. Yeah. And then so, from there? Yeah. So then that, that was like, it was probably about four years building that business. We managed to raise sort of a round of capital in that business. So I had some experience in building shareholders agreements and raising capital. We had Reckon Limited. That was one of our larger investors that I think they invested about six or 700K, which I thought was lots of money at the time. And it was great. It was a really good experience. And sort of a year after they made that investment, we had a knock on the door from Fleetmatics and they acquired the business. And I spent about six months in the transition and went from a company that I think we had about 15 people to an organization that had about 600 people. And so it was a very interesting transition from very nimble and fast organization to, you know, in my mind, a slow moving organization. That was challenging and sort of spent six months there. They were sort of had their, you know, knew what they were doing and understood the product. And I sort of start my next adventure. And that's where I started building the Zoom to You business. So let's dive into that. What year did you start Zoom to You? 2014. 2014. And take us through the journey of just the business development. And then I want to understand the listing decision-making process. But before we get to that, take us through the development journey. How many staff did you have? You were developing a product. It's 2014. Take us through a bit of a journey of Zoom to you. So 2014, probably I think it was like February, March, I decided sort of I wanted to build my next thing, but I didn't really know what it was. And I went through a whole bunch of different ideas of, you know, different things that I was going to build. And then the one day, I think it was probably like in June, I was sitting with a previous investor, I was having a coffee and my phone kept on ringing and I'd got a new mobile number. So there was no reason why barely anyone knew this number. And it turns out it was a courier and the courier was trying to get hold of me. And it was like the fifth time the guy trying to deliver something to my house. And so it got me thinking like it was a bad experience for the driver, it was a bad experience for me and technology could connect the two parties. I had no idea that the person was actually turning up on that day. And so I knew that technology could solve this. And so I started sort of building the very basics of what Zoom to you is today. And by beginning of August, I launched a very basic website. It looked like we actually operated and we were running, but we actually weren't. Mm. And I started running some AdWords and I wanted to get an understanding as like, what was it going to cost me to get a customer? and how much demand there was. And I wanted to speak to some real customers to understand what they were actually looking for. And so we built the website, very basic, and launched it and started getting these inquiries. And I started ringing them and saying, look, sorry, we're not actually operating, but what were you looking for? And 
started to learn what they were looking for. I understood the cost of acquiring a customer. And then I saw, okay, there's a real opportunity here. There was no one at the stage doing anything like this. And so by September, we launched with a very basic version of Zoom to you. And I remember sort of launching the website, turned on the AdWords again. And then the Sunday night, this booking came through and I thought it was a test booking, but it was actually a live customer booking for the next day. And that was the start of it. And then over that period, the business grew. We had to build out a lot of the systems and the processes around sort of how we would operate and how we would work with the driver network and billing processes and management of bookings and driver apps and invoicing and all those types of things. <laughs> you know, we had nothing. And then there was lots of spreadsheets and lots yeah. of phone calls and lots of manual intervention. And we rapidly learned what we needed to do. And I had a team that was based in India, but also had started building out a development team in Australia as well. And yeah, one of the things I did sort of fairly early on, probably two or three months after launching, is that I bought a domain name, which was samedayexpress.com.au. Wow. And this was an existing business that was operating, but it was just based in Sydney and they operated a same day courier service. And the... I randomly reached out to the person and said, I'd like interested in buying a domain name. And by chance, he was actually interested in selling it. And so I bought it for $50,000, which might seem like a lot of money. But what I worked out was this site actually ranked number one for same day courier in Australia. Yeah, cheap and probably. It was. It like yeah. Within probably six months, if I'd spent the same amount of money to get the same traffic to our website and AdWords, I got a return on investment and that's been, you know, one of the best things. And we did that across now. It's probably about seven or eight domain names that we own that give us organic traffic every single month. Yeah, that led to the growth of the business and the business evolving and us winning some really large businesses that use the platform today and, yeah, continue to sort of operate and run that business. Now, talk about money. It wouldn't have been cheap to build it, even though you had a team in India and so on. So was it you? Did you tip all your money in? Talk us through that. So initially I tipped in about 400K of my own money and you can work through money very quickly. <laughs> things are a lot more expensive. One of the good things was that, you know, I'm sure you'd know this, like when you sold a business, then there was the tax incentive of reinvesting that money, yep. which was really, really useful. It's encouraging our entrepreneurs to keep on investing, which I think is good. Um, so I was able to do that and reduce my tax bill, which was nice. And then it was probably a year later that I then looked to raise some money and yeah, I managed to, through my network of previous investors, but also some new investors that came on board. Over time, you've built a network of people that you know, and mm. one person gives you an intro to another person. And I managed to get on board an investor, Anthony Clock, and he's, you know, does a lot of uh, seed investments in technology, really experienced, had some experience in logistics, was one of the investors in Deals Direct through Elliston Capital in the early days. So really understood e-commerce, understood what we were building and really got the industry. And he came on board as our chair and it was you know, really useful for us as the business evolved. When did you decide that the company was going to list on the ASX? So talk us through the options that you had at the time and the decision-making process to say, okay, well, you know what, we want to list and there's a reason for that. So can you talk us through that decision-making yeah. process and why? So I think for me personally, from the moment that I started that business, I had a view of wanting to list it and primarily because ideally want to build this business, you know, not for the next five or 10 years, it's like for the next 50 years. And I want to grow it into being a substantial business and being in the listed markets, I think gives you access to uh, capital and giving you access to capital at a very good rates. And, you know, not necessarily where people are looking to exit out of their fund after a, after a period of time. And so I think that just gives you a lot more optionality to be able to do that. I think there's 
going into the listing, you'd speak to a lot of people and lots of people would give you negative reasons as to listing. Some would give you positive reasons. Uh, there's mixed uh, reasons out of that. And some entrepreneurs hate it. Some enjoy it. For me, I've, I've enjoyed the process. Happy to be listed. I'm planning on doing this for a long time. So this is part of the strategy uh, going forward. So give us some of the requirement. Obviously, you don't rock up to the ASX and, <laughs> and uh, make an appointment. So, yeah. so tell us about how many years in advance do you need to plan for. For our listeners out there that have got businesses that are, you know, maybe scaling and, and they're thinking, well, a listing is an option for either cap raising or growth. Tell us about what they need to do. So step one, you've decided to list. You're obviously not a lawyer or whatnot, but take yeah. us through your version of the journey of the things that an entrepreneur or a CEO needs to think about. The first thing is you've got to have a business that's marketable and you've got to have a business that you are expecting to grow substantially. And if you've got a business that's growing a small amount each year, I just don't think you're not going to be able to raise the capital that you need to. And you've got to have something that's interesting and this technology is one thing that may be other areas. But I know investors could relate to what we were building and could understand the technology. And I think that was probably the number one thing. And then a broker could then be able to sell what the business is actually doing. I sort of look at it, we've got two parts of our business. One is we're selling a product and service. And the second is we've actually, we've got shares in our business that we're selling and marketing to an investor base. And I think that's really important to understand that. And then I guess the practical nature of it is you've got to find a broker and a broker's got to take on your story and believe in, in your business. And that's probably the main thing to do initially. And if you've got a broker that believes and is going to take your story and going to help you to get the right investors on board, then you're on your way. You probably need to be thinking about this two years ahead. It may be a year, but I'd say at least, ideally, you're thinking about this two years and ahead. You're going to have to make sure that all your accounts are in order, your accounts have been audited. From day one of starting the Zoom to business, I had our accounts audited. And that was one of the things I sort of learned through the previous acquisition was the acquisition went so fast and so smoothly because everything was organized and my accounts were organized. When they asked for anything, I had it and it was, I hadn't purposely done it, but it, it was built ready to be sold very easily. And I think having accounts that are audited is really, really valuable, even when you're a private business. Yeah. Great um, advice. Now, as an accountant, I agree with that. The earlier you get your stuff in order and the auditing part, it can be expensive, but it can also not be expensive. So keep going. So you got that auditing, you got, you're getting it ready. So you got yeah. the broker on board. So what else? So then you got to have your legal team. So you got to make sure your legal side of things. What we actually did is we did like a pre sort of when you're going through the listing process, you have a thing called the due diligence committee meetings and you have about five or six of those meetings. And that's where they basically review any sort of risk inside of your business. And so we spent a fair bit of time prior to actually starting that process to identify if there are any areas of concern or risk that we're going to pop up and make sure that those have been addressed. And that's making sure that you've got all the right contracts that are in place. You've got employment agreements, you've got lease agreements. There's all those things that are completely clean and it's not going to cause you any issue in listing. Because essentially what you've then got to do is you're assigning your lawyers, you've got your broker in place, you've got your accountants and auditors, and then you've got a timeline. Okay, well, we're going to raise money and we're going to get listed and we're going to get listed in this sort of time period. And you've got a roadmap as to how you're going to go about doing that. And that's a fairly painful and there's a lot of work involved in that time period. So quick question on the investor side, you've got your broker, lawyer, get all that. That's awesome. Yeah. But how many shareholders did you have at that point in time? Did you have one, two, three, four, five? And is um, there a requirement to have a hundred shareholders before you can list or what does that yeah. look like? Yeah. So we had, I think about sort of 40 to 50 investors prior to listing. 
well, definitely less than 50 because over 50 have to become a like public company and non-listed. Yeah. So we were under that 50 range to be listed. I don't know the exact number, but it's in the hundreds. I think it's 300 or 500. You need individual investors to be listed. And you do also have to approach the ASX to say, hey, this is our business. This is what we do. We are planning on listing. And will they approve you to be listed on the ASX? Yeah. And that was kind of my next question. Because like, okay, you've done all the work and it's all good. Got a broker. And they said, yeah. where did you guys come from? So obviously yeah. there's some pre-applications and they know it's Definitely. coming. And it's like a pre-approval, sort of like a bank. Right. Yep, you're ready That's to right. go. Go and get your money and, and whatnot. So it was the primary focus to raise capital. So you obviously got a broker. The story is there the forecasts are there but rather than saying look we're trying to raise i don't know call it 30 million dollars the share price is going to be x you can subscribe to y as many shares as you want whatever the listing was and then everyone does their subscriptions and then there's a day picked once you get to a certain quota and then there's a day picked in advance or maybe not in advance but once you got a certain time frame the marketing's done and it's listing day it lists and all these guys bought it at a predetermined valuation and right. it lists and then the market does the market. So take us through the journey of, I guess the broker did a lot of the work, but you would have had to go on lots of road shows and, yeah, yeah, definitely, and spruik. Definitely. Take us through that journey. Was the primary focus to cap raise via a listing? Is that what it was? Yeah. So for us, it was definitely not to sell down any shares or get any sort of liquidity. It was all around sort of raising more capital for the business and doing that through a listing. So basically you've got this timeline, you've got a number of steps that you actually go through. And so part of that is raising capital. Part of that is actually making sure from the diligence point of view, you've done all the compliance activity that you need to do. You're building a prospectus as well through that period. And so making sure that you've got people inside of your team to actually help you in building that prospectus is really important. I've got a really good CFO who joined our team probably three or four years prior to listing. And that was really, really important because he understood the business in a lot of detail. He'd done a number of IPOs previously. I wouldn't have been able to do it with someone like that on my team. And that was really, really important. And so spending all this time building the prospectus and you're getting that ready to lodge, you're lodging that with ASIC. And so you lodge that with ASIC and that ASIC may come back with questions or they may just let it go through and may not ask any questions. In our instance, they didn't ask any questions. And from lodgement date to listing date, it's usually, I think, around sort of the 30 days or 40 days or something along those lines, six weeks. Did you achieve your goal in terms of the vowels and the number of people you wanted? And was that successful? Obviously, it was. Yeah. But- yes. We were looking to raise $8 million. We were oversubscribed. So we still raised the eight. We listed at 20 cents. And yeah. on listing day, I think the share price closed at like just under 40 cents. So it went completely nuts. Wow. <laughs> Over the following sort of few weeks after that, continued to go completely crazy and went close to 80 cents. So it had an amazing ride and uh, it's come back to a lot of reality since then. Uh, It is a question I've got, but I'm going to ask it now. So tell us the story of, I'm just visualizing a big bell and you're, you know, everyone's in the boardroom and I'm tipping you probably not allowed to sell the existing investors or some of you would have been quarantined around, you know, you could probably couldn't sell many shares. I'm guessing that. Is that right? You couldn't sell? Yeah. So for me, I was escrowed for two years and very happy to be. And so, yeah, I didn't sell and a lot of the early investors are still investors today yeah. and they saw that this, the share price went as crazy as it did. There was a handful that did uh, sell some shares. Yeah, of but, course. 
I mean, it was nuts. And yeah, but a lot of them are still still holding today and believe in the story and what we're building. And So did you get all the original investors in a room? Did the bell go? I mean, we were all in lockdown during this period. Oh, no, of course it would have been. Yes. Yeah. So we did all of the due diligence meetings all over Zoom. I still came into the office, but it was me on my own in the office. Even on listing day, it was all done over Zoom. And uh, we had a Zoom call and there was probably... I don't know, 60, 70 people on the Zoom call with existing investors and staff and everything and with the ASX and their ASX has a screen that they share that shows sort of what all the bids are going into the listing and then there's a big countdown that goes in and it was a pretty fun day and then seeing it go suddenly from 20 cents and it just flew up to like 35 cents, I certainly wasn't expecting it to do that straight away. I remember... It was probably at 10.30 a.m. that it launched on the market. I think it was 11 a.m. And I had a phone call at 9.30 from an investor, but he's a VC, very, very experienced. And he's like, well done on getting to today. Most companies don't get here. And that's a great result in itself. And he's like, what the market does, the market does. Don't worry, you've got here and you know, you've got, you're building this business for the long term. So just be focused on the long term. And if it closes today, a cent or two up, that's a great result. Like, well done. He rings me at the end of the day. He's like, oh my God, like, what the hell was I talking about? I love he's it. Like, he's like, what did you do? Like, why did this happen? I'm like, I've got no idea. You know, I reckon there would have been a little bit of that, you know, it was COVID. Everyone was going nuts on e-commerce online. You come on board, Zoom to you. We're logistics. We're SaaS. We're, well, maybe not SaaS, but part of it is SaaS. Yeah. Consumers understand what we're doing yeah. and consumers are generally dissatisfied with the delivery experience and we're someone that's solving that and improving that. And I think they understand what we're building. And yeah, I think a lot of people have bought into the story around that. And, you know, I think over the years ahead, they'll they'll get a good return on. So uh, I want to touch a little bit more about the rules. So obviously I think of, you know, Telstra and all these other big companies that are listed. You're playing, you got to follow the same rules as everyone else because you've obviously got ASX yeah. rules to abide by. But I'm guessing you also need to have constructed a board. So that's requirement number one. Tell us some of the things that are different. Do you need to meet regularly? What are some of those stringent ASX rules that small entrepreneurs and businesses don't need to worry about? Can you just talk us through that so that our listeners can go, oh, geez, do I really want to do that? So explain that for us. Yeah, I mean, I think you turn into a business that's very, very professionally run. And I'd always run the business really well and organized. And particularly from an investor communication point of view, like every quarter you have to report back to investors and say, hey, this is what we did. This is how much money. And these are all the financial metrics around the business. And we'd been previously doing that. So that wasn't sort of a huge change to what we were now having to do from an ASX point of view. So I think that side of things was still there's a big, there's a bit of a lot more work in doing it, but we were used to it. We were previously running regular board meetings. So I was used to that sort of process and used to the presentations in the board meetings. But then I think it's the disclosure requirements sort of in letting investors know if there are substantial changes that are occurring inside of the business. And usually you're doing that on a quarterly basis. Maybe there might be things that might occur in between that, but that's, you know, that's probably the biggest thing. And, you know, I think making sure that what's happening inside the business remains confidential internally until it becomes public knowledge. And I think making sure that not giving out information where people can do inside trading and those types of things. And I think that's been a change for me, but also a change for a lot of the staff members as well as not being able to be too public about, you know, we just won this big deal with this one customer, or we can see that something's happening in the future. We're not going to leak to tell that information until it becomes public. 
are there requirements as to when you need to make something public? So, for example, you're trying to negotiate a deal with know, a really, really large company. Yeah. It might triple your revenue overnight if yeah. they sign the contract. Let's use that example. They've signed the contract. Do you then have got an hour, a day? When do you have to make things public and you know what time frames do you have? Yeah, so I think you're always looking at how material is this mm. new contract that you're signing, and I think that's the the identifier and is it material just because of the brand or is it material because of the revenue? And sort of we've actually had some discussions with the ASX around how we navigate that because sometimes we do sign with large businesses, but the revenue associated may not be substantial and to months ahead or the years ahead. And so I think there is some, you know, learnings around how best you, you navigate that side of things. But usually it's like, you know, is this something that's going to be material that an investor would want to know about it? And mm. I think if you think about it in those simple terms then you understand, okay, well, yes, we should be disclosing this. That's protecting you as the directors in making sure that you're not knowing something that your investors aren't knowing. And can you talk us about cost? So there's obviously a cost to list. So roughly what should someone think around someone that's raising, say, similar to you, 8 mil, obviously listing, is it 100 grand, 50 grand, 200 grand, a million dollars? What's a cost to list? Yeah, it's a lot. Something like, it's a lot, <laughs> isn't it? I guess you've got a cost of raising capital. And that's probably your biggest. And so if you're raising, you know, typically a broker is going to be charging you five or 6% on the raising of capital. And that's, that's your main cost. Then you're going to have your, your legal cost. You're probably going to spend somewhere between two to three. Some, some businesses, if they're more complicated and not as organized, they might spend 500K in doing their legals. Their legals. And then you're going to have your auditor's costs. And so, yeah, that's going to be dependent on the auditor. You've got a, you've got a decent amount of money that's spent in, in professional services in getting to a listing. Okay. And in terms of once you are there, what would you say a small ASX listed company needs to have put aside for ongoing compliance that would be greater than our guys that have to keep compliance with the ATO with their taxes and buses? Yeah. But that ASX part, is it, do you need to have a specific role within the company that t- takes care of this? And are there, I'm assuming there's lodgement paperwork and documents. So is that ongoing cost, again, $1,000 yeah. a year? Or so what does that look like? Yeah, so there's, there's fees that you pay to the ASX to maintain your listing and there's an initial listing fee. I think that was about 50K. And there's a monthly fee that you pay. I think it's around about 5K thereabouts. And that depends on the size of your of your business. And then you're going to have something, you're going to have a company secretary. It's probably yeah. going to be an outsourced role. And so depending on the firm you're using, it's probably 5 to 10K a month for something like that. You're going to have to pay your board. Your board might be paying cash, but they might also be getting some equity as well. And so, yeah, and then the, probably the other biggest cost is your DNO insurance. And so that's your director's insurance. Mm. And, you know, the risk of basically you won't get any directors on your board generally without the DNO insurance. And because there's, you know, such in Australia, there's the risk of directors being sued is quite high. And so, yeah, directors will want to see directors insurance. What advice would you give to a CEO of a company that is thinking of listing? I would definitely go and speak to other CEOs that have gone through the listing process and really understand what that process looks like and making sure you're mentally prepared for it. Yeah, like I was really focused on listing. I was I'd clear the decks really to be focused on, on this and be focused on the business for this period of time and I had the mental capacity to do it. I hired a personal trainer. 
was going to the gym three times a week. I completely stopped drinking for, I think, an entire year before listing. I didn't touch a single bit of alcohol. I knew that I had to be on my game like 100% because I needed to make sure the business was growing, but I also needed to spend all this time in, in going through the due diligence process. And the due diligence and building the prospectus process is enormous amounts of work. And, and I think as entrepreneurs, we don't spend our time doing that sort of stuff. We spend our time building businesses. And this is all really boring administration work that you're going to have to be involved in. You have to be across the detail. And yeah, so that takes a lot of effort from an entrepreneur, I think, in being able to do that and to be able to focus on all the detail that's there. I think that's great advice. We do a bit of M&A work on the smaller side here at Alexander Spencer. Whenever I talk to any client that want to sell their business, and they're generally good size, you know, 10, 15, 20 mil, that kind of range, they need to make sure that they all of a sudden they want to sell, but they've got to stay focused on yeah, the totally. on the business because as soon as you go to market, you're going to get scrutinized on everything and you can't have sales dip, people leave and all that. It's a massive emotional yeah, investment. Yeah. And yeah. what you've just said there is amazing in the sense that it's the same when you're listing. It's such an energy that you need to put into. You've got to one be able to focus on the business at hand, but you need to focus on yourself because you're probably going to work harder than ever because you kind of got two yeah. jobs anyway. That's amazing yeah. advice. Yeah, I, I think, think it's like it's the, yeah. the risk of deal fatigue. And yeah. I saw that doing an acquisition or being, when I was previously sold my last company, it's like the risk of deal fatigue. You're getting right to the end and then the, the business might try and lower the price on you and you're so tired, you're like, okay, I'll just accept it. Whereas if you're fully continuing to grow the business, then there's less risk of that, that actually occurring. And one of the things that a listed company has to do, and all private companies, public listed, have to have an AGM. It's a little bit different when you're listed. So how did your first AGM go? How many people rocked up? Don't tell me it was on Zoom. It was all on Zoom. Ah, oh, no. How many people rocked up? Uh, look, I mean, we get, we, we run our quarterly. Oh, you have quarterlies. Yeah. So we do our quarterlies and then we have our AGM. Usually on any quarterly, we've probably got about 40, 50 people. That's Amazing. And so you probably got a similar number for the AGM. I think maybe a little bit less because the AGM is really quite a formal process in terms of doing all these different votes. Most investors have pre-done their votes. And so it's, it's a pretty boring, uh, boring process until the end when I get to a presentation. Ah, uh, of course. But until awesome. that, it's quite formal in terms of the um, formalities that have to be followed. Uh, it's fantastic. Look, the next thing I wanted to touch on is a little bit about the future of the company. We've talked a lot about listing. We talked about your business and the journeys of Zoom to you. You've listed, you've raised capital. I'm assuming raising capital wasn't just to have money in the bank. So you're probably without diving into knowing who the business, but I'm assuming you're churning through that money for either marketing, growth expansion, further development. Tell us about the future of the business. What's the strategy coming to the next two to three years? And is there going to be another cap raise coming soon? So we listed, we raised some capital. We've since listing, we've made a couple of acquisitions. End of last year, we just did another acquisition and we actually raised some capital at that point in time as well. Um, so we're well funded now and we don't have any plans for any sort of new capital raises in the short term. And so, yeah, right now what we're doing is we're very focused on building and growing the locate to you business. The Zoom to you business has been operating. It's established. It's doing really well on its own right. And now we're spending a lot of money and in investing heavily on, on the locate to you product. And we see a big opportunity in being able to grow the locate to you business globally. Um, so not just in Australia. And I think across the world, there's a real push towards faster delivery, 
consumers wanting to know more around when deliveries are actually turning up and being able to live track those orders. And I think Amazon is really pushing, making the consumer expectation much, much higher. And I think that's then forcing individual businesses to actually provide a better customer experience and using our technology, they can then deliver that experience. And so, yeah, we're really wanting to be on the forefront of that on a global position. That's amazing. Unfortunately, we have run out of time a little bit here today. There's so many things you can come back on the show for. Managing mm-hmm. investors in a private enterprise, how do we go about that? I'd love to hear your story about how you take this business globally. Steve, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners. I'm really looking forward to seeing your journey. I didn't know about Zoom to you until we reached out to one another. And a big thank you for joining us on The Bottom Line. No problem. It's been really good and uh, happy to come along next time. Awesome. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.